Coming up on Stu Does America, it's a Super Tuesday for everyone's bumbling superhero, Robinette. Aha, we'll tell you everything you need to know about Joe's special day. Leon Wolf joins us to break it all down and to marvel about this magnificent mess of a process. Plus, the latest on coronavirus and how it can help get Democrats elected. Fingers crossed. I hope you're with me. Before I get too enthralled, uh, click the nearest subscribe button for me and rate and review this podcast. That helps other people find the show. And quite frankly, you're already cool enough to be here. It's those other people that need the help. On YouTube, click the bell for notifications uh, of new videos that we post. And subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash stew. Please make sure to use the code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. You'll save 10 bucks, get access to all of Blaze TV, and you'll support conservative programming while you still can. Because let's be honest about it, eventually I'm going to get all of us canceled and thrown in woke prison. Stew does America. What is happening? We're the Democratic primary. That was legitimately one of the craziest nights I can remember covering an election. Joe Biden, once thought to be dead, now very much alive. Bernie's having heart attacks on stage, then he's the front runner, and now he's in trouble again. And Elizabeth Warren also participated. There's so much to get into, we figured there's only one way to present this election while still hitting the high journalistic standards that define this program. Election 2020, in-depth coverage. The fight for the Democratic nomination. It's Road to Stalingrad 2020 on Stu Does America. Mm, Yes, that's right. Welcome to the Road to Stalingrad 2020. Last night, the polls closed at 7 in Vermont and Virginia, and we started our coverage at 8 p.m. That's when a big batch of states closed, and it gave the network an opportunity to preempt something called Stu Does America, which is a show you should definitely check out sometime. It's great. Whatever. The expectation was that Vermont would obviously be a blowout for Sanders, no drama there, and Virginia would be pretty close. Maybe the race kind of starts to take shape by the time we start the coverage. So we're off the air, thankfully. Uh, When it's 7 o'clock on the dot, we have the first of many times I would blurt out, holy sh... The Fox News decision desk can now project that former Vice President Joe Biden will win the Commonwealth of Virginia, beating Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders in a key delegate-rich state. I mean, an immediate call of the race in Virginia? This was not supposed to happen. But it set the stage for a dramatic night of Joe Biden exceeding expectations, a completely foreign concept to America and sadly to Jill Biden. At the end of the day, Biden wound up with over 53 percent of the vote in Virginia. Let this sink in for a second. Biden got a higher percentage in Virginia than Bernie got in Vermont. This, to use the technical term, is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Biden won uh, the states he was supposed to. He took Tennessee by 17. Arkansas went to Biden by 18. And he won Alabama by 47 points. Biden also won states that were supposed to be close. Oklahoma by 13. North Carolina by 19. And incredibly, Virginia by 30. And he won in states where a win didn't look likely or even possible, like delegate-rich Texas by three and a half. Massachusetts, where Biden only had a 1 in 17 chance to win, he still won by a touchdown and an extra point. And in Minnesota, home uh, of Super Bowl 52, a win by the Philadelphia Eagles, you may remember, 
Biden won by nine. Coincidentally, that's almost the same margin of victory as the Philadelphia Eagles in Super Bowl 52. Bernie was only able to win a couple of states. He won Vermont by 29. Uh, and a couple of primaries with quirky rules that didn't allow for late deciders. Uh, Colorado by 13 and Utah by 17 and a half. Bernie did so badly with late deciders that he actually lost them in Vermont. There's still a bunch of votes to be counted, but Bernie will win California, which is a big deal. And the only thing keeping him from jumping off the tallest building in Vermont. And for those thinking I'm making light of suicide, no, no. Remember, the tallest building in Vermont is only one story. To quickly wrap up the last couple of results, in another shocker, Maine remains too close to call, but it looks like it's going to be a Biden victory, too, and has been called already by some election experts. American Samoa went to Bloomberg. Samoan American went to Dwayne Johnson. Wayne Messam took the do dos primary. The Keebler Elf won the Thin Mint Caucus. And coincidentally, the big winner of the Jeffrey Epstein primary were actual Girl Scouts. Look, we can spend a lot of time here focusing on what a disaster this was for the other candidates, or we can focus on the historic turnaround for Joe Biden, a legitimately monumental night that political scientists will be studying for decades. So doesn't Elizabeth Warren suck? I mean, are you with me on this? She's just awful. There are exactly 2,134 people in America who don't find Elizabeth Warren completely insufferable, and every one of them is a political reporter. And for some reason, none of them can see how irritating she is. Oh, and Joe Biden did really well or whatever. The most annoying thing about Elizabeth Warren is that the left is going to spend the next 10 years writing think pieces and woke women's studies essays on how Warren was completely superior to everyone else, but didn't win because of her lady parts. It's like saying that the reason that people didn't like Jar Jar Binks was because he sounded vaguely Jamaican, which, by the way, is not true and is a vicious slur on the Jamaican people. Boiling down an entire culture to a 90s movie is offensive and wrong. But if you're going to do it, you should remember the Jamaicans not for the prequel, but for the bobsled. Guys, it's just way too warm to bobsled. You're from a tropical island. It can't be done. Oh! No, wait, you did it. It's incredible. You and your adorable accents they finished 103rd out of 103. Congratulations to all the Jamaican bobsledders out there. I will say Elizabeth Warren's heritage did factor strongly for her win in the Tagalong powwow. Hmm, who knew? Okay, so Joe Biden achieved something incredible last night, turning a failing campaign and an unintelligible syllable salad into a massive victory. And we need to talk about that. But first, isn't Michael Bloomberg an idiot? I mean, this complete moron spent $700 million of his own money. And at the end of the day, he's going to leave this entire process with absolutely nothing except a bunch of non-disclosure agreements that now can be disclosed. He used to make jokes about abortion, all of which now apply to his campaign. As I tweeted earlier today, hey, Mike, kill it. And unlike his female employees saying no, this time he listened. By the end of the day, Bloomberg is gone. And now he has to crawl back pathetically to one of his homes with nothing to live for except his other $63 billion in a daily existence that's better than all of ours combined. <laughs> what a loser. So Joe Biden won a bunch of states. How screwed up is Bernie, though? I mean, this is unbelievable. Now that Bernie has started losing again, the Bernie bros think the whole election is a scam. 
If you understand anything about socialists, whenever they lose, everything is rigged against them. I can relate because this is my analysis of every Super Bowl except the Philadelphia Eagles victory in Super Bowl 52. What is fixed is the facial expression of Bernie himself. Part frown, part scowl, it's a frowl. See it all at campaign events all across America. He would have a copyright on frowl, except for the fact that that would show approval of uh, ownership of private property, which is not in his platform. Sanders is less a presidential candidate as much as he's kind of like a subreddit come to life to take your money. If you looked at Twitter, you probably thought Bernie was going to win by 90. And he would have if this election wasn't rigged, man. We should take a minute to acknowledge the big win by Biden. Okay, that's enough. The best part of the humiliation of Bernie Sanders' defeat is the reason that he lost. The Bernie bros didn't show up to the polls. This is the problem with basing your campaign on the activism of people who can name more porn stars than founding fathers. You have thousands of angsty teenagers in mid-twenties bodies, and all they had to do to get free college, free health care, and universal hemp was to get off their asses one time. All you have to do is actually show up somewhere. You don't even have to be on time. You had all day. Get off mommy's couch before 9 p.m. and press a freaking lever or a button on a machine one time before behind a, a freaking curtain. Is it that difficult? You had one job. To be fair, they did just release all the Police Academy movies on Netflix, which you know Hillary had something to do with. Bernie can run again probably when he's 82. I mean, he can't be done yet, right? We'll fill him up with some Mountain Dew game fuel and see if he can beat Ivanka in 2024. Did I mention, by the way, Joe Biden? No? Okay. All right. So about Tulsi Gabbard, this is when Tulsi makes her move. Okay. This is the moment. You watch out, Joe. Nobody sees the person at 1.3% coming. Mm Mm-hmm. Despite the first positive news cycle for Joe Biden since his crusade to stop the evils of the gramophone, there was only one winner on Super Tuesday, Donald J. Trump. This guy lives the charmed life, man. I mean, he's a billionaire. He runs the free world. He's married to a supermodel. And now he has to run against either Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders. I mean, seriously, how could this have turned out any better for Donald Trump? On paper, he could have had to deal with a competent opponent. He could have had Kamala or Beto or Julian. He could have faced Pete or Amy or Kirsten. It could have been Booker or Bullock or even the freaking Yang gang. In real life, none of them worked out. They all had massive flaws. The best thing that ever happened to Donald Trump was the Democratic Party. All of this, all of this, and he gets Bernie or Biden. It's amazing. Trump is in his 70s, and he is fully guaranteed to be the spry youngster in the election. And if you think I'm forgetting about Elizabeth Warren, just like Democratic voters, I am. The thing about Biden is, you know, all he has is momentum, and that's a problem. Uh, Through the sort of perfect confluence of events, a distant second place in Nevada, one not good but not terrible debate, one nice win in South Carolina, and then everyone clears the way for him in three days where there wasn't enough time for polling or for him to screw it up. It feels good today for the Democrats, but Biden is still Biden. All of his devastating weaknesses that were there two weeks ago are still there. One day you wake up and realize that Joe is still unfortunately Joe. Joe still can't speak, and by the way, he's got his hands on the midriff of a 12-year-old girl on camera again. This brings uh, to mind the fabulous documentary, Can't Buy Me Love. 
This award-winning film follows the story of Ronald Miller, a young nerd who spends all of his time mowing lawns to save money for a $1,000 telescope. On the verge of the pur purchase, he, of course, spots local hottie Cindy Mancini and instead gives her the $1,000 to buy a suede coat that replaces the one that she ruined while illicitly borrowing it from her mother. The catch? Hottie Cindy has to date nerdy Ronald for a month. This gets Ronnie the popularity he's always wanted. Other than a uh, wonderful introduction for 1980s teenagers to the world of prostitution, the film serves as a teachable moment to the Democratic voters all across America. For a month, it seemed like it was actually working. Ronnie became popular. Everyone wanted to be his friend. But despite all the excitement, it couldn't change who Ronnie really was. Eventually, he gets exposed and everyone is embarrassed that they ever liked him. Joe Biden is Ronald. I should note there's a couple of differences between the election and the movie. Uh, in the film, Ronnie and Cindy get together and they live happily ever after, or at least until Ronnie gets a job as a doctor on Grey's Anatomy. Uh, and then the Cindy story is so depressing, I'll need therapy if I have to tell it. Plus, the movie poster is all wrong because if there's ever a situation where someone jumps on your back and starts to grope you from behind in real life, that person is guaranteed to be Joe Biden. The point here is this. Eventually, Joe Biden is going to be exposed. He's corrupt. He's incompetent. He's gropey. And he's fading fast. Can you imagine what Trump does with this guy? Joe Biden may have won yesterday, but nobody fared better than Donald Trump. This is absolutely his race to lose because he's racing against losers. Can you believe that you have a home and you spend your entire life getting all the money together to buy a house? And you move your family in and you have all these big memories. You know, it's, it's the American dream come true. You pick fences out there. You can remember all the holidays, all those awesome things as your kids grow up. And then one day you lose the title to your home to some person overseas who's just trying to scam you. This is not OK, but it is the situation happening to thousands of people across the country. Don't let one of those people be you. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. This is a thing that is going on faster and faster across America, one of the fastest growing crimes uh, in the United States. You do not want to be next here. That's why I want to make sure that you protect yourself uh, online with HomeTitleLock.com. The legal documents to our homes are kept there, and you know people go after them. They forge for these documents. They can, uh, they can forge them once they get them. And then what do you do? You're talking about your equity being stolen by some thief overseas. You can be evicted from your own house and no insurance or bank protects you. Home title lock, however, does. You could already be a victim of home title fraud and not know it. Find out, register your home at hometitlelock.com and enter Stu for one month of free protection. Again, enter Stu and make sure you use that code because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, you'll get one month free at hometitlelock.com. Do it now, hometitlelock.com. So I hope you're uh, sufficiently freaked out about coronavirus. I know that's the cool thing to do. I mean, it is. Look, it is a legitimately scary thing. Uh, it is increasing in uh, the, uh, the number of cases all across America and around the world. Uh, we saw Italy closed all their schools and universities for two weeks. These are not normal things countries do. So we know this is serious. And the main reason it's serious, of course, is because we don't have any treatment for it. Right. We, we don't we don't really have any treatment for it at this point. We don't certainly don't have a vaccine, which is going to take a year or two. We don't even really have anything that can 
do much of anything. They're like, there was a guy, I think I read part of this uh, the other day, a guy who actually has coronavirus, and he said it was relatively mild, but basically the only thing he's done is drink a bunch of Gatorade, which doesn't sound bad, you know, I would assume uh, it's a little worse if you happen to be on the verge of death from it. Um, the bigger issue, I think, for the average person is not necessarily whether they're going to die or get violently ill from coronavirus, but what does it do to the economy and what does it do if you happen to be traveling or you happen to get quarantined? I mean, if you go uh, to another country or another uh, place and one of these things breaks out, you might be stuck there for weeks. You might be uh, you know, quarantined on a, you know, a military base somewhere. It's not something people want to do. And whether you even leave the house at all, you can't protect yourself from the economic crisis that's happened. We've had a couple really good days in the Dow over the past few. So it's brought back a bunch of those losses that happened initially. Uh, Jim Cramer has been talking about this. And Jim Cramer, uh, obviously a very good man. How do I know this? He's a Philadelphia Eagles fan. And all Philadelphia Eagles fans are good people. Nobody pees off a rooftop uh, hammered after a win better than a Philadelphia Eagles fan. At least, not, at least nicer than an Eagles fan. Uh, Kramer here is talking about the economic impacts of coronavirus. Watch. Jim, I know you got to leave. Uh, you got a last word? I mean, we have- well, I just think that it's great that the Federal Reserve recognizes that there's going to be weakness, but there maybe I, it makes me feel, wow, the weakness must be much more than I thought. And I've been trying to be bullish, but I can't. But this is like, wow, okay, 50 basis points. I guess the claims are going to be bad. I guess that we're going to have a real slowdown here. And I just wish that we had uh, some great doctors and some great drug companies that could solve this. And that's, we can take back and add 50, I don't care. But I'm now nervous. I'm more nervous than I was before. Yeah, and that's kind of was the 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 seeming effect of them lowering uh, these rates was that people were like, "Holy crap, are they taking it this seriously? We better we better start panicking." Uh, the exact reverse of what it was intended to do. You know, one thing I've noticed over the years, um, and I've watched country after country after country try this: uh, central planning's hard. Central economic planning, maybe not the thing you want to try. Uh, the Fed, of course, is a little bit different than that, but not much. And it's hard to figure out and balance all of these moving parts. Coronavirus is an actually pretty scary thing when it comes to the economy, because you know, we're talking about long term um, shutdowns of supply chains. And there's a lot of positives of, uh, of, of uh, you know, not being an insular nation. I mean, ask uh, North Korea. But if you're going to go out, you're going to be a free trading nation and, and people are going to be traveling freely and you're going to have the freedom to go where you want to go. There are negatives associated with that. If we, wa- if we all wanted to be super duper safe, we could all stay inside and we could video chat with each other. And the good thing about that is you'll never have to talk to anyone in person again. I'm not exactly opposed to it. But for the moment, I'm going to keep the uh, whole free thing going on. I think I think freedom's working out pretty well for us so far. No. What do you think? Um, however, we should know that it's not just the economy that is uh, in danger, Um, we have uh, something more important that can come from the coronavirus, something positive. You know, a lot of times we look on the negative side of life. On this show, I have to admit, I'm occasionally guilty of it, but you can get the positive side from uh, David Brooks. Watch. If we start canceling events, if the economy (laughs) goes down, if we can't gather in crowds, that's suddenly a gigantic event. Uh, And so many people who are Trump's critics uh, or who even sympathized with him but didn't think he was a great manager, a great leader, suddenly they all say that we've been saying this for years, well, at least we haven't had a real crisis. And then suddenly we get a real crisis. And so to look at it in the crass political terms, I don't see any upside for Trump. <laughs> I do see significant downside and a lot of upside for the Democrats since they are the party of health care and since they are the party of government. 
Now, Brooks is making a, a fair point here, of course, that if you look at it from the purely political thing, there isn't a lot of upside in the virus, which is stunning. You'd think there would be a lot. Uh, but it is a, t- a tough thing. It's something that Trump, I think, has taken seriously and also, I think, maybe recognized that it's not really his game. You know, maybe it's not the thing that he's going to be as uh, in tune with. Um, you know, Pence, people make fun of Pence as getting control of this. Well, number one, he's the he's the vice president of the United States. OK, he has some real responsibilities. He is not some just schlub uh, politician. He's the number two guy in charge. And yes, you need scientists working and you need health uh, professionals working on things like this. But their job isn't to administrate government and government resources. You also need government resources and you need government officials involved in these things. And a lot of times this is one of the things that drives me nuts about the whole global warming situation, which is they basically say the left says, look, we got to have scientists do this. They're the professionals. Well, they're the professionals at what? They're the professionals at doing science, right? They're they're looking at the science. They're reading through the materials. They're conducting experiments. Um, they're limited in their ability to conduct reliable experiments, of course, with the globe. You know, that's kind of a basic thing uh, that, that limits people when you're trying to get exact readings on what might happen, which is why they're off a lot of times. They're trying to do it with com- computer models. A lot of times uh, conservatives will bash scientists for doing this. I think they're doing their best. It's just really hard. It's really hard to micromanage a system. It's I mean, how can I put it? Central planning is hard. So when you're trying to central plan an economy or a climate, neither one of those is easy to do. And a lot of times uh, we get this pitch from the left of just let the scientists do it. I mean, are we going to listen to scientists? Scientists are saying they want X, Y and Z. We've got to give them X, Y and Z. Scientists are the experts. Well, scientists are not the experts in political science. Scientists are not the experts in managing government resources. Scientists are not constitutional experts. Scientists are, are experts in their own field. They can make recommendations to politicians, but we hire politicians to make these decisions because they're supposed to know how government works, uh, how to balance not just the science of something, but also people's jobs, people's livelihoods, people's well-being. That is that's what their role is. If you want a scientist to make all the decisions, elect one. You can elect scientists all you want. If you have elect scientists, they'll they'll go in there. They'll have a good idea of what the science is and they will be able to uh, do the job in government as well. But these are two things working together. Of course, science is a big part of this. You'll notice when a Republican, let's say, doctor gets elected to a position, uh, they don't want anything to do with them. They don't have any right. They don't understand anything about health care. They're all just evil. All the Republican doctors that wind up getting in they're they're just huge problems. Uh, This is an obvious double standard. And as it always comes down to with the left, the concept is not whether you need a scientific expert to tell you what's going on. The concept is, will that scientific expert say what we want them to say? Will they put the policy in that we want them to implement? And if they do that, then they're right. If they don't, then they're wrong. That's how this works. It's it's unfortunate, but it's true. And you see this happening with people like uh, with Greta, our fine Greta Thunberg. How dare you? Remember her? I think she, we did the second episode of the show. She was on the monologue. We talked about her parents and then how she kind of got to the position that she's in as this global uh, magnet for attention when it comes to the climate. Um, one interesting part about this, because I kind of, not only do I think that she's wrong and misled and, and you know, honestly having her life ruined by climate alarmism, she also is, you know, what, 15, 16 years old? You know, 
I don't know. Does she know anything about what she's talking about? She seems to be generally a smart person, but you know, I, you can't you can't criticize a 15 or 16 year old really about anything. And that's of course the reason why the left loves Greta so much. It's also the reason why I don't like the idea of, of Greta. I, I, I'm not a fan. This happens on the conservative side sometimes too, where you'll have a person come in and they will be. Um, you know, it'll be a young teenager who's, you know, the new conservative icon. And they come on and they do a bunch of shows. And sometimes it's cool to see someone who's interested in American history or interested in the Constitution and our founding documents. I don't want to put it down. I mean, it can be cool. But I don't like inserting children into political moments like that. I, I think I would want to avoid that with my kids. Now, whether I'm a good father or not, who the hell knows? You know, maybe in 20 years, my kid will come over and say, hey, dad, you actually weren't all that terrible. Maybe I'll live up to that standard. I have no idea. Um, but I will say that an answer to Greta, to me, is not what we need. That being said, there is kind of a conservative Greta. At least that's how she's being promoted. I'm sure she loves it. I'm sure she absolutely loves it. Naomi Zeit is her name. And she was on with John Miller. Uh, now, the one distinction I will make here is that she's not 15 or 16. She's 19. Uh, so that is a big difference. She's an adult. Uh, but here she is talking about the climate and how she sees it. I am not anti-Greta because I am, first of all, I am not anti this young girl herself. She is a probably a very nice girl, a young individual. And um, it's wrong to just see her as this climate symbol. Um, she's way more than that. And most importantly, she is not a scientist, neither am I, but I've done my research on these topics and I don't want to impose my views on anyone. I don't want to force anyone to, um, to, to change their mind radically. I don't want anyone to follow me unconditionally. I want people to start thinking for themselves again and be scientific skeptics. And so, um, what Greta is doing is she's just spreading panic and she's not um, on the other side of the science because to me, there really, there is no science behind her. Hmm. I mean, look, I, I tend to have a, a good amount of sympathy for uh, the viewpoints being expressed there. I do think a lot of times this gets into panic and it is important to approach not just uh, political topics, but science skeptically. That's a real thing. You know, so that's what science is supposed to be. You go in there and you try to ha you want to believe that you're wrong all the time. If you're going in there trying to prove that you're right when it comes to science, this is when you get into trouble. You know, science is a, is, is a part of this argument and it always will be. Um, it really comes down to how do you deal with a potential issue. And, you know, of course, the left's answer to that is always more government intervention. I don't buy that. Um, but I do think that it's uh, I, I don't know how she's going to fit into this debate. I mean, she said she didn't want to force people to agree with her. I don't think that's allowed on social media. You everyone must agree with you. That's the goal of social media. We all know it going in. The only thing you're supposed to do is give an opinion and then get very angry until all people align behind it. Now, I've not been able to get that done yet. I'm sure others have. But that is pretty much where we are. And I am shocked, by the way, uh, that we have not seen I have not seen an op-ed. I have not seen a think piece. I have not seen Greta or Al Gore or anyone else come up and say coronavirus is the result of climate change. We've been dealing with this for weeks. Every problem is supposed to be assigned to climate change. That's the rule, guys. If you can't live up to your end of the bargain and blame every single issue that goes wrong in this world on climate change, who are you? Who are you? You're not doing your job. Step up. Blame things on warm weather in the sun. And then maybe we'll talk. Maybe we'll listen to your other opinions.
The bottom line is, as we all know, murders, uh, illegal immigration, uh, war, prostitution, and uh, being too tan, uh, tan, all of them are issues you can blame on climate change. And we'll make sure to get to a little bit more of that, more accusations uh, about the dangers of the weather coming up on a future program. Back in a second. You know, at times I struggle with the Trump thing when he does the uh, the media, the press is the enemy of the people. I don't love the phrasing. I don't know that it wins anybody over. I know the base sort of likes it. And I have to be honest, at times the press does things that are so awful and so blatantly dishonest that it kind of fits. Uh, It feels like they are trying to, you know, lie to the American people to get a result. I think it's clear that it happens sometimes, though there's plenty of good reporters and plenty of good people in the media. I bring this to you because um, sometimes I'm on the fence on it. Today, I am not. Like right now, I'm not on the fence at all. 100% in agreement with Donald Trump saying the press is the enemy of the people because of this story in the New York Post. And it's not because of what actually happened in the story. It's because how it's written. I, I give you this. And if, if you're on, you may drive yourself into a bridge abutment if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, so try not to do that. Um, it's Carrie Wilkes dream of being a nurturing plant parent died on the vine when she realized the succulent she'd been tenderly tending for two years was a fake. She recounted her botanical boo-boo on a, fri- on a Friday viral Facebook post. I feel like these last two years have been a lie, Wilkes wrote. The state mom from California admits she was co- extremely proud of her beautiful succulent, uh, which lived for two for two years on her kitchen windowsill. She was such a dedicated caretaker that if someone else tried to water my succulent, I would get so defensive. However, when she tried to transplant the cute into the cutest vase, she made a disturbing discovery. Her perfect plant was phony. I pull it from the, the container and it's sitting on styrofoam with sand glued to the top, she wrote. I tried my hardest to keep it looking its best and it's completely plastic. Now, right now, with the exception of the wordplay, it's not, I mean, it's, it's pretty bad. But it gets worse. She, this then the journalism then crosses the line to the thing you should never, ever do if you're writing a story, writing this line. Uh, her faux plant went viral on Facebook, racking up over almost 9000 reactions. 9000 is a gigantic number since Friday, as well as a flurry of comments. Now, when you're a journalist in today's world and you don't want to go get a quote from someone, you just search Twitter for it. Right. And when you can't when you can't get anything from the actual person involved in the story, what if we just pull random comments from random people that we don't know? Because that's a way to fill up the text that I need to put in the article. Right. Uh, It's like when you go to college or high school and they give you a fake baby to carry around for months to teach you what it's like to be a mom. Quipped one Facebook booker. You should never, ever write the line, quipped one Facebooker. That should never be in a story. Wilkes' green thumb gone wrong moment was also shared to an Australian indoor botany page. There's too many pages on the Internet. Okay, that's that's one thing that tells you right there. My friend at work always kills the plants because she doesn't water them. So I put a fake one in the cafe, posted one horticultural 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 
Hornswoggler. I I can't. I can't do any more. Is it a news story? Why am I reading a news story about someone who watered a fake plant? I feel like that's a, that's actually on the high end of the intellect scale for what I usually read in the news. Uh, you know, you fake, at least it didn't kill anything. It was already dead. So you got that going on for you. Back in a second. Leon Wolf is the managing editor of TheBlaze.com. He's also ranked globally as the 47th most famous Leon in the world, coming in just behind Leon Trotsky, Leon Spinks, and Leon Panetta, just ahead of Leon Lett. Congratulations, Leon uh, Wolf, uh, and welcome to the program. Uh, thank you, Stu, and, and might I say that I also have the distinction of never having fumbled in a Super Bowl. That's true, and that's, uh, that's a positive, that's a positive. So two um, things I have on me on that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so Joe Biden last night, Super Tuesday, big day for Joe. Um, to kind of use Joe's uh, phrasing, was it a big deal or a big effing deal? I think it's a big deal. Uh, I certainly, you know, I've been watching politics for a fairly long time. I've never seen a candidate who was that left for dead, get off the mat and score a victory that big on Super Tuesday. I certainly can't remember anything like it in my life, lifetime. Uh, and just a really, just in terms of the surprise factor, it was pretty stunning. I think it's completely altered the calculus of this race. And, um, you know, for better or worse, I think he has to be considered the favorite if there is one, uh, because, you know, I, I think most of the models now predict that nobody is going to get the majority that they need to actually secure the Democratic nomination. But he's probably the favorite to win it at the convention if it goes to that. Yeah, it really is amazing. I mean, I, I don't think you can overstate that. I, I even looking optimistically and saying, OK, let's say this surge is real in South Carolina. It's continuing. Uh, I'm looking for a big night for Joe Biden, even running the numbers that way. I didn't get to what he wound up doing. I mean, this was really a historic night. Yeah, nobody, uh, I think nobody predicted that he was going to win Minnesota. Certainly nobody predicted that he was going to win Massachusetts. Yeah. I think a lot of people predicted that Sanders was going to beat uh, Warren there. Um, you know, uh, winning Texas, finishing above the 15% threshold in California was kind of an understated thing, but was huge for him because it kept Bernie from taking home a humongous, what could have been a really humongous hall of delegates and really putting himself in the driver's seat. So yeah, a a really humongous performance from Joe Biden that really kind of altered the race, I think, permanently to where it now uh, really and truly is a a two-man race headed into the convention. Uh, Sort of the uh, political nerd sort of world um, there's a book, The Party Decides, the thesis being basically, yeah, you voters, eh, you're a bunch of peasants, don't worry about it. We're going to be in back rooms, smoky rooms, cigars. Right. We're going to map out how this race is going to go. It's a really terrible telling of what the book actually says, but it's conceptually what it is, right? The party decides who the nominee is kind of in the end. We obviously knew that didn't happen in 2016 uh, with Republicans and Trump, but it does seem like maybe the clearest example of this thesis being true is the 2020 Democratic primary. You know, I, I guess that's one way to look at it. I mean, I, I think... Another way to look at it is that kind of the voters themselves decided to go looked into the abyss and said, this is not the guy we really want to have running against Trump, is it? 
Uh, you know, I, I don't know that Joe Biden is necessarily a better alternative, but <laughs> I, I think that, uh, you know, they thought about, you know, Bernie plays well in the rallies and everything, but how's he going to play on TV against Trump over the course of a one-on-one -on -one campaign? I don't think it turns out very well for them in the end. So, I mean, it could have been the party, but I think more realistically, it's the voters. I think that the party, the days of, you know, people gathering around the town square, listening to their elected representative say, oh, well, here's who I, you know, support and making their decision on that basis are pretty much dead and gone, as far as I can tell. I, I, I don't know that I would even give, give Jim Clyburn, you know, a tremendous amount of credit for what Joe Biden did in South Carolina. I think more and more people are deciding on their own, reading their own news, making their own decisions. And that's kind of how they came about it uh, yesterday. Uh, is uh, I think we wind up having a lot of this just goes by feeling right. We cover this for you right. know, 15 months and I swear 90 percent of people never think about it until two minutes before they walk into the booth. And it's like, what is their vibe that day? And I feel like there's a, a risk here where now Biden had this big day. Everyone now thinks Biden's the guy is is if Bernie comes back and let's say wins Michigan. And then when that comes up and it was it a week or two. Uh, does this whole thing turn back around and then Bernie's the front runner again? Yeah, you know, I, I think during the course of this campaign and covering it, I've had moments where I thought I thought Kamala Harris was going to win yeah. early on. Mm -hmm. I had moments where I thought uh, Buttigieg was going to win. I've <laughs> had moments where I thought Biden was going to win. I've had literally last week I was dead certain that Bernie Sanders was going to win. I mean, Elizabeth who Warren. Who knows? Yeah, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, in January, I thought Elizabeth Warren was going to be the person who won. And really, who knows? I think the right answer is, you know, 538's current prediction, which is nobody gets to uh, the magic number of delegates. And this thing goes to a convention, which I think inevitably ends with Joe Biden being the nominee. Yeah, I mean, that does seem the most likely thing. I know they were updating their model today. Is What is their percentage at now? Do you Have you seen it today? Last I saw, I think they still had three out of five, which is 60% chance of it going to a contested convention. But I haven't looked since probably noon or one o'clock p.m. Amazing. Eastern time. It is. A, I mean, I, that is like the, again, political nerd dream scenario that everyone kind of says, oh, well, they might go to a contested convention and this could happen and this can happen. It seems like it's realistic here. Unless Bernie completely fails, you know, fades away and he gets abandoned by his people, which is it's hard to believe. Um, and it, I mean, it really becomes a blowout from here on out. I don't think Sanders is going to drop out if he thinks he can get it to the convention. And then that's just going to be it's going to be a mess. It's something to kind of look from the other side and say, wow, uh, this is going to be fun to watch. But I mean, that's going to be a mess for them. Yeah, I mean, the political nerd in all of us kind of wants to see it go to a contested convention. We forget that the last time this happened, the city of Chicago sort of caught fire a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it might not be so great uh, of a thing to actually have happen, especially given kind of the way that the Sanders folks feel about how 2016 went down. And I agree, he's not going to quit. I mean, he didn't quit in 2016 after he was mathematically eliminated. He's definitely not going to quit now. Um, and what the what the Bernie bros don't understand, among a number of other things, is that, it, it, from my perspective, it's not really the party that's screwing them. And I know it's, it's politically advantageous for Trump to say that. There's a good reason for him sure. to say it. But it, look, in 2016, he lost by about 4 million votes. Like, he lost by double-digit percentage points to Hillary Clinton. You should lose the delegate count if that's what the popular vote says. Um, and 
I think if he loses Michigan next week, which I think it's likely, I think he's probably going to lose handily the popular vote again to Joe Biden. But his supporters are never going to accept that explanation. His supporters are never going to believe anything other than the party screwed them. Uh, and given that his entire rhetoric is about we're starting a revolution, you know, this is, you know, we're throwing the old ways out. I mean, who knows if they will accept the results of a convention peacefully, which is obviously not something anybody in America should want. No, of course not. I, I, I think you and I are both similar in the way of like, I don't want to jump to the most uh, inflammatory conclusions. I usually tend to downplay these things in my own head. It's the only way I can get through life. Um, but I do think that there's something unique about Bernie Sanders and many of the people who follow him. This is not a guy even like, you know, Elizabeth Warren is very, very left and, and, and has these big policies and big government. And it's, I'm not even close to comfortable with anybody over there. But Bernie Sanders is an ideologue. It's been 40, 50 years he's been believing in these things. He, you know, the whole story we went to you at Soviet Union on his honeymoon. I mean, these are re, this is a dedicated dude when it comes to socialism. And it's only uh, very recently that he's implemented the democratic socialism addition to his praise for these regimes. Most of them were revolutionary socialist regimes. Uh, you know, as much as, uh, you know, Joe Biden, I think, would be a really bad president. You know, I do not want Bernie Sanders anywhere near one of the two people who could possibly be president of the United States. Am I overthinking this? Am I am I am I hyping it too much? No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think and I think that that kind of calculus. Look, the people who vote in the Democratic primary don't have any reason to be concerned about what you or I think, because we're probably not ever going to vote for the Democrat, no matter who it is. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot of people who would feel the same way that like, OK, you know, maybe we need a change from Trump. Maybe we don't. Who knows? I mean, Obviously, there's nine months as eternity between now and Election Day. Who knows what's going to happen with the coronavirus, with the economy? If people are in the mood for a change, do you want to present them with the only option for a change as being a guy with the past that Bernie has? And I think the answer is no. I think that for the rank and file Democratic voters, the answer is no. And I agree. Like People have said, well, Warren needs to drop out so all of her support can go to Bernie. And somebody said on Twitter today, I didn't see who it was. And I think this is 100% correct. I don't think that's a fair assumption. Warren's supporters are liberal, but they are what somebody on Twitter said today, and I wish I had caught who it was so I could give them proper credit. Warren supporters are the type of people who listen to NPR and lecture you about not doing your recycling. Okay, They're not the right. pick up the torch and pitchfork and store in the Bastille people. Those are Bernie's people. And uh, you know, there's a real danger in letting them too close to the levers of power. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Okay, we got about 30 seconds left. Can you give me, maybe just give me a profile if you don't have a name, but a VP pick for Biden and Bernie. Any ideas who they might be, who you might favor, or maybe they're just the profile? You know, I think for Biden, is, youth is going to be somebody of a huge deal for him. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to look for somebody who's young. I think he's probably going to look for somebody female, probably somebody of color. I mean, Kamala Harris would be probably close to the top of my list for a lot of those different reasons. Uh, who knows with Bernie? I, I, I mean, I, I really can't predict anything of what he's going to do. You know, he's, he's so far outside the box, but we'll see. All right. Leon Wolf with Blaze.com, 47th most uh, popular and famous Leon in, in the world. I mean, I don't want to slight you. Thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me, Stu. Appreciate right, back it. back in a second.
Thank you so much for checking this podcast out and watching the show on YouTube. Uh, I know you've, you've loved our podcast and you've heard me say so many times um, that people are reviewing this show and I would appreciate you doing it as well with the slogan, it's great, whatever. Uh, you loved our Nancy Pelosi sucks pan or at least really hated Nancy Pelosi. Now you get all the stuff in the same place. Like new shirts, new hoodies, new drinking apparel. Here it is. Uh, they've got stuff that says Stu does hoodies. <laughs> and also a lot of stuff that just says it's great. Whatever, which isn't as enthusiastic as you might think, uh, but it is still pretty cool. And I uh, would love you to check it out. It's at StuDoesMerch.com. Get all the links always at StuDoesAmerica.com. See you tomorrow.